0: welcome to a talk from St. Saviour's Sunbury. We hope you enjoy it. Hey, good morning everyone. Hello, Uh, my name is Ron. Uh, I am the vicar here, if you didn't know that. Very warm welcome, Edna. Welcome to that of Tom's. Uh, We had quite a few problems in our first service, uh, which increased the sense of expectancy that God was going to do something incredible. So we struggled for about 30 minutes to get the computer to work. That hasn't happened before. When we were in the middle of worship, one of the uh, sewage lorries parked outside and decided that was the time he was going to empty the drains. (laughs) And when I came up here, somebody had made this disappear literally, and I had to send someone off. Well, Pete went off very kindly and went and found it for me. Thanks, Pete. So we're all set and ready to go, but there is that sense of expectancy that God is going to do something miraculous this morning, because that is the God that we worship. We're in the book of uh, Romans for our reading this morning. You'll find it after the Gospels, towards the back of the Bible, after Acts, you'll come to... A letter uh, written to the Roman church, page 1134, if you've got a church Bible. Feel free to open it up and have a look through. Uh, Romans 7, verse 14. Uh, We know that the law is spiritual, but I am unspiritual, sold as a slave to sin. I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do, but what I hate, I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. For I know that good itself does not dwell in me, that is, in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. Now if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me that does it. So I find this law at work. Apparently, if we've got a picture of ring-tailed monkeys, have we got that picture? They are a delicacy in Africa to the Zulus. There they are. They're quite difficult to catch they're quite agile um, but the zulus have found a way of catching them basically they get a coconut they hollow it out drill a little hole in it, they put a rope in it attach it to the tree and they put something like rice something tasty that the monkeys are going to want in there they can get their hand in but when they go to grab the rice to take it out and make a fist they can't get it back out through the hole and essentially what they do is at that moment they run up to the top of the tree thinking they've got their goodies but as the rope tightens they get to the top and bam they just get back down to the ground. And because monkeys are a little bit stupid, they keep doing this over and over again. Fist in, try to cut it out, it can't, run up to the top of the tree, bam, come back down to f- After a few times of doing this, because the monkeys are a little bit stupid, the Zulus come along, because they're a little bit more dazed now, and bam, hit them over the head, monkey stew. And uh, I, I feel that's, that's that's a bit like us. It's a bit like us here this morning, that we get hold of something, we do something and we know it's not good for us. We know what the outcome is going to be and yet we continue to do it time and time again. And you know, in in all good uh, fun, I like to compare you to various different things. So you're right, just be glad that it wasn't this kind of monkey that I was comparing you to this morning. And uh, you know, from time to time, you know how I like to take the mickey out of you. But also, you know, I'm a vicar, I like to take the mickey out of myself. So just to even it up, there's another shot of me as in nurse. Uh, oh, hang on a minute. That's dirty. All uh, right. We're in this series, we're looking at identity. Uh, I'd love you to take a key verse away with you. If you don't know it, it's John 10.10. It says this, The thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy. But I, I is Jesus, I, Jesus says, I have come that you might have life, and life in all its fullness. The thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy. But I, Jesus, have come that you might have life, and life in all its fullness. If you don't know that verse, if it isn't etched on your brain, take it home, read it, get it there. Uh, take, pick up your Bibles. We're going to have a look at verse 15. Uh, Paul says, and, and I want to do it as a, as a good Anglican vicar. Uh, there's three parts to this. So I'm going to say that Paul's struggles in this passage and our struggles, because they're the same struggles, come in three parts. And if you look at verse 15, it says, I do not understand what I do. And what an incredible confession that is. One of the greatest Christian writers Preachers, teachers, church planters of all time saying, I don't understand what I do. You know, if you've got kids, if if you're a parent here, you'll know that when your child does something, like uh, throws a stone through a window, rips a book, hits their brother over the head, and you say, why did you do that? Their answer invariably is, I don't know why I did that. And that is the human condition for each and every one of us. It's the same as us as adults. When we do something when we say something that we know is stupid or, at worst, really bad. We think, why did I do that? And sometimes our answer is just plainly, I don't know. I don't know why I did that. I don't know why I said that. Why did you go to that place? I don't know why I went to that place. Why did you break that promise? I don't know why I broke that promise. The only answer you can come up with is I don't know. Something inside me just moved me to that place and I can't quite explain why I did what I did or said what I said. I wonder what it what it is for you this morning that you've done that you think is stupid or plain wrong. What's the thing that you keep on doing that is stupid or plain wrong? You know, we know the good but we don't do it. We know what's wrong, we fight against it, and then we do it anyway. We say, I will, and then we don't. We say, I won't, and then we do. We make a promise, and then we break it. We get on our knees and we say, oh God, I am so sorry, and then the next day we find ourselves back in that place again. It is truly the human condition for for all of us. Anyone play golf in here? All right, I'll scrap that analogy then. (laughs) That which you do, you don't do. The thing that you don't want to do, you end up doing. That is what we need to recognize. I do not do what I want to do. First of all, let's recognize we are in that place. The second thing, if you have a look at verses 18 to 20. For I know that good itself does not dwell in me, That is in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me that does it. Wonderfully, wonderfully, this great writer is saying, I, I, I. It's not I was, it's not I did but it's I in the present tense. He's wrestling and grappling with it, even as he writes this amazing letter to this church in Rome. Uh, and so it's, it's not theory. I want you to understand that this, this book is not about theory. This is about life. Hey, and life in all its fullness, right? And sometimes, sometimes that life for you may be a struggle. Sometimes that life for you may feel like you're in a battle. I wonder if that sounds like your life right at this moment. I want you to know that you're in good company because Paul felt like that too. Paul knew he was in this deep personal struggle. What was he struggling with? If you're a guest here, if you've not been around church for a while, it's sin. It's what the Bible calls sin. What is it? What is sin? If you imagine, does anyone do archery? Good. We'll go with that analogy. You know when you uh, pull the bow back, and what are you aiming for? You're aiming for the bullseye. You want to hit the center. You want to score high. And what happens is you pull back and you miss center. You hit one of the outer rings, or sometimes you actually miss the board itself. That is what sin is. When you miss the mark. Or, if you like, if you take a, a line in the sand, if you draw a boundary here and you overstep that mark, you know where the line is, you know where the boundary is, you know where you should stop, but you step over that line. That also is sin. Sin is the mess, it's the chaos, it's the wreckage of our lives, and then the, in the lives of those around us. It is uh, fatherless children, it is oppressive regimes in third world countries, it is women sold into sex slavery, it is children working in sweatshops so I can wear a t-shirt for free quid, it is young people knifing one another on the streets of London, it is all those things and much more, and it is dehumanizing, it is dehumanizing, sin stops you from being the person you were created to be, it dehumanizes us, and the third struggle that I'd just like to mention is the, the true nature of the war within ourselves. If you have a look at verses 21 to 24, when I want to do good, evil is right there with me. The, the Greek word that is interpreted right there with me is like, like a Siamese twin right next to me, conjoined, like I can... Reach out and touch sin. Everywhere I go, my sin, my evil, goes with me. And that that battle goes on throughout your life. uh, Monday through Saturday and also on Sunday. That battle is going on. The fight is raging within many of you right now apart from the young people. You know, you're a good-looking congregation. Yeah, that's a little bit tongue-in-cheek. You're a good-looking congregation. But what happens when someone says, you are all right? How are you doing? Yeah, I'm all right, thanks. That is not the truth. And I want this place, this family of God, to be a place where we let it hang out, where we are honest with one another, where our mask In the scriptures, they use the word hypocrite. These are actors who would wear a mask to perform a different function, to be a different person. I want us to be able to remove that mask, to be honest with one another, so we can be real. I'd like you to turn to your neighbor and say, you look good. now turn to your neighbor and say, I look good. That's a bit harder to say, isn't it? You know, every, every face, every smile in here, there's a story going on behind that. A story of fear, a story of cowardice, a story of struggle, a story of victory, a story of defeat, a story of all those things all just mixed up in this melting pot. As you come to sit, to be with your friends, to worship together. You know, if you could see inside people's souls, it's such a funny thing. As I, When I walk down the street, when I do wear my collar, and I walk down my street, I can see people. People either gravitate towards me, because they know like, I should, in theory, be safe. Or they look at me as if to go, that guy can see straight into my soul and see the sin that I'm committing right now. I don't have that superpower, by the way. But the truth is, inside each one of us, this battle, this war, and if you could see our souls, it would be like we're coming out of the Borneo jungle, World War I, we've been for a real fight. It'd be like you've done 10 rounds with Mike Tyson. Uh, or it would be like you are Jack, who is on Love Island, if he does the dirty on Danny Dyer's daughter. I can hear one or two acknowledgements that some of you watch Love Island. I only brought that in to see which of you were. Uh, yeah but that's what life is like some of us barely make it to church because it's been such a difficult week sometimes I wish I had that excuse yeah we'd all rather think I look good you look good so hey everything is rosy the truth of the matter is I don't believe that we can begin to be healed until we recognize the true nature of the battle within ourselves and uh, and I'd love you as we come to finish as I've finished talking, which isn't just yet, Uh, we're going to be offering prayer, as we always do, as a way to respond for someone to pray with you. I'd love you to be able to be prayed for. If you're struggling at the moment, then you're in good company, because one of the greatest Christian writers, church planters, teachers, apostles of all time struggled too. And uh, that leads me to say something that's with Jesus, for those of you who know and love Jesus and are known and loved by Him. You will know in your life significant amounts of victory. You will know in your life that through the cross you are restored, you are redeemed, you are forgiven. You will know that. You will know also that you are going to win some, but you will know that life has taught you that you are also going to lose some. You are going to stand up and people are going to knock you about and you are going to get knocked down, but you are also going to get back up on your feet and maybe get knocked down again. Now, ultimately, we will never win the victory. We will never win the victory until we are stood face to face with Jesus Christ. And at that moment, ladies and gents, you are a winner. Game over. You're a winner. Until then, there will be a struggle there will be a war. Because how else do you explain people like me, pastors who fail? How else do you explain Sunday school teachers who admit heinous crimes? How else do you explain God's people who give in to rage and jealousy and commit adultery? How else do you explain that apart from the reality that we're in the midst of a battle? You know? Uh, The Lord's Prayer, when Jesus, the Son of God, prayed, your will be done, he is acknowledging in that moment that God's will is not on earth as it is in heaven. He is praying for that to happen. He is saying your will be done. He is saying that I realize that God's will is perfect, and we want that to happen here on earth, but we also know there's a whole load of other wills at work in your life. Do not blame God for your circumstances. God is good. I went and saw one of my uh, African friends from uh, Bible college during the week. God is good. And his response would be, all the time, all the time, God is good. God is good all the time. God is good. But there is another will at work in the world. The spiritual reality is that there is a will at work against God's will. And then in whatever situation you're in, there's your will. There's however many other people's wills are involved in that as well. Pray your will be done, God, on earth as it is in heaven. Uh, many of us are familiar with the book uh, by Robert Louis Stevenson, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Yeah? Uh, thank you. Uh, the story is all about the good Dr. Jekyll who's working on a potion to allow him to become the, another man, Edward Hyde. And the two men are just so vastly different. You've got Dr. Jekyll, who's a really nice, sweet kind of man. And then you've got Hyde, who's this malevolent, malicious, murdering kind of person. And the two men are literally at fight, fighting one another for control of the body in which they both reside from time to time. Classic novel about right and wrong, good and evil. And Stevenson was once asked, where did you get the inspiration for your characters? And he said it was easy. He said, I found it in my very self. He knew, and he was a Christian, he knew that there was this struggle, this battle going on inside of him between good and evil. I wonder if you've ever been caught in that place where you know that you're doing wrong. And I want, you, I want you to know there are two voices that will come with you at that moment. There is a voice of condemnation. You are not to listen to the voice of condemnation. There is a voice of conviction. That is God. You are are to listen to the voice of conviction. You are to listen to God. Do not listen to the condemnation. Listen to the conviction. You are not alone in this. I am not alone in this. You know, you do things. You try and be patient. You're trying to live out the fruit of the Spirit. You try and be patient. And then in a flash, you've struck out with your words, maybe worse. You thought... You thought you'd broken the grip of that thing. And then suddenly you find yourself back in that place again. And you realize you're not as strong as you thought you were. You don't live up to the standards that you know are right. And now you feel a little bit stupid, foolish, dirty, or even as Paul puts it, wretched. Maybe you feel like you're a wretch this morning. But I want to encourage you that we all fail. We all give in. And um, you know, you, I know that you guys look at me up here from week to week and I think you see respectability, I, I, I hope, yeah. I know what you see is this good looking young pastor, I know that, I think you see respectability. if only you knew what went on in the inside. Yeah, does this, the fact that I struggle, does that make me a failure? No. Does the fact that you struggle, does that make you a failure? No. Does it make you a loser? No. Does it make you a substandard Christian? No. Do you know what it makes you? It makes you an ideal candidate for the grace of God. If you feel like that this morning, you are an ideal candidate for the grace of God. Of God. This a lovely vicar uh, look, I I heard of, um, much loved man of God. Uh, it's not me, um, but he carried this uh, secret burden of sin, this this weight on his shoulders. You know what happens when you not if again if you're a parent if you give your kids a kind of piggyback. You know what happens after you've carried that weight for a while. You kind of you begin to sag, yeah. When you carry that weight for a while, that can be kind of quite damaging to you. So there's this guy who's carried this weight around for a while. He's got someone in his parish who's a very godly woman, seeks after the heart of God, and, can, and really hears from God. So he's quite skeptical, and he goes, okay, well, next time that you're speaking, next time you're chatting with God, because us vicars can be quite skeptical too, right? Next time you're chatting with God... Ask him, what sin did I commit in Bible college? And she was like, yeah, okay, I'll do that. A few days passed, he meets her again. He said, well, you know, did you, did you meet with God? And she said, yeah, I did. And well, what did he say? You know, what was the sin? Did, what, what did God tell you about the sin that I committed? What did he say? And she said, I don't remember. God said, I don't remember what sin you committed in Bible college. You know Why? Some of you will race to scriptures in Isaiah because it says as far as the east is from the west. That's how far God has removed your transgressions, your sin from you. And I know that there are some of you among you that are geography teachers and are going, Ron, you're pointing to the north and the south. But when I do it like this, it just kind of loses its emphasis, right? You can't see what I'm doing. The scriptures go on. You, O God, will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea, the sea of forgetfulness. So gracious, so very gracious. Not only does he forgive, again, the scriptures talk about forgive as take away. Not only does he take away your sin, but he banishes them, he wipes them from the face of the earth. Forgotten, dealt with. And the thing that you have to do is this wonderful word called repentance. Humbly seeking after God, genuinely going, God, I'm sorry, forgive me for X, Y, and Z. I like to describe repentance as, if you give you this image, imagine you guys are God. That's a terrifying thought. Just imagine you guys are God. I'm off in la-la land, and I'm just, I'm just walking off in my own direction, walking away from God. Repentance is when you turn around. And the moment that you turn around, you know what God does. In his grace, he comes running to you, scoops up his skirt, runs as fast as he can to welcome you back home to say what? Welcome home. You're my beloved. You're my child. and You can do that for the first time today or you can do it for the 50th time today. God is always calling us home. He's a God of reconciliation and today he wants to reconcile his children back to himself and to continue that reconciliation in those that have already put their trust in him. And as far as I know, there are three things that you can do with your sin, with the mess, with the chaos, your mistakes. Three things you can do. One thing is that you can just deny your sin. You can deny it. And, and my initial reaction is, eek, that ain't going to work and it ain't going to end well. First thing you can do is deny your sin. That is not going to end well. The second thing you can do, the second thing you can do, my son told me I'm not allowed to do this because it's the shape of a gun. So he said, Dad, you can't do that. Um, Number two, you can try and deal with it on your own. You can try and be a superhero and try and fix yourself. But uh, if you've had plumbing work done in your house, if you've ever had anything, a new bathroom installed, and you hired that plumber, and that plumber did all the joints and all the pipes, and all of that just leaked you wouldn't hire that plumber again to fix the problem. And when we try and fix the problem on our own, it's just like hiring that plumber. It's just like hiring the person who busts the system to begin with to try and fix it. Uh, And number three, it's a Sunday school answer. Option number three, you admit your mess. You admit your failings, you admit where you messed, uh, overstepped the boundary, you admit where you messed, uh, missed the mark, you admit that, and you turn to God, and in His goodness, He will forgive you, and He will wipe away all of that in an instant. There are, um, there are times when I, when I preach which, uh, uh, in, in which I can really sense God's presence with me and in times when I can really, when I feel like I'm really hearing from God and this is one of those times. And I know that some of you are struggling with stuff, we'll just call it stuff. Some of you have been struggling with this for a long time. Today is the day that you walk in freedom. Today is the day that you finally confess it to God. You bring it before him. You stop hiding in the corner and cowering away. God is good all the time. Today is the day that you do that. You repent. You return to God and you receive his forgiveness. And then genuinely you walk towards God with God. As your character changes, as you become more and more like his son, Jesus Christ, the only perfect man who ever lived. But he, with the power of the Holy Spirit, will do that for you. You need, the reason why I'm upset is because I know so many of you are struggling with stuff and don't quite believe God has the power to break you free. Do you believe that church? Thank you for those people who are just in the front row here. Do you believe that, church? You are not who you were. You are not even who you are right this moment. You are who you are becoming, made in the likeness and the image of God To become more and more like his son, our savior, Jesus Christ. You are who God says you are. Not those things that you say or do. You are not that. Who are you? Give me some names. Tell me who you are. Tell me who you are. I don't want to speak at you for 20 minutes. I want you to respond. Who are you? I am a child of God. Who are you? I am loved. I am redeemed. Keep going. I am saved. I am blessed. I am set free. I am chosen. I am a new creation. Thank you, Jason. I am a new creation. Believe the power in the resurrected Christ. You are a new creation. Born again into his image, forgiven, restored, redeemed, set free. You are who God says you are. You are a child of God. You are an heir to the kingdom. You are the apple of his eye. Walk in that today. Amen. For more information about St. Saviour's please visit www.stsaviourssunbury.org.uk.